Good evening, everybody. I pray everybody is blessed and well and favored of God on this evening. I pray that you are strengthened and encouraged wherever you find us tonight. And I pray God sent the same blessings over your family and friends. For those of us who are you, are you who are joining us tonight and you are in a place where you're discouraged and you need a word of encouragement, I pray God's word for you tonight does just that very thing. May I pray with you? Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you will bless those who are attached and under the sound of my voice this evening. I pray that you will put a spe special blessing upon them. Touch their families, their households. Lord, you be in their midst right now, attending to their very needs. Lord, your word say you will supply all our need according to your riches and glory. And we pray that that happens for each and every person. Not only those who are listening, but also those who they may be praying for, those who they are connected with, those who they are prayer partners with. May they also be blessed by extension by you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We want to share a few things with you tonight, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you shall hear. We're going to the word of the Lord very shortly. We're going to 2 Kings, the fourth chapter, and we'll be sharing from there. All of this year, we've been sharing from the thought forward or forward has really been the background, almost literally as it is with me tonight. Forward has been the background of our teaching and our thought for this whole year. But we'll be sharing many different things. Recently, we started our series a Sunday ago about commitment issues. And we're going to talk about that in the realm, in the same concept of forward. Forward is still the impetus behind our teaching this year. But we're going to talk about commitment issues. And relative to that, uh, we're going to be asking some questions about brokenness tonight, about our levels of brokenness, about where we are, how broken have we been or become, and how has that impacted our relationship with God and we pray that what we shall share tonight will be a blessing to you. At, relative to that, we're going to the word in 2 Kings. Again, that's chapter 4, 2 Kings chapter 4. And we'll begin with the very first verse of 2 Kings chapter 4. The word of the Lord there says in 2 Kings 4 and 1, it says, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Elisha is inquiring of the woman, what is it specifically that you wish for me to do for you? And the woman, and he said, and tell me what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. Verse five. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons and as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. 
She came and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. This woman found, this woman was in what I consider to be a broken place. And many of us, we've been there. We've been in places where we were broken or we felt broken, a place of lack, a place where we did not have resources, a place where we were at our wits end. And I, I challenge somebody tonight to be honest about that. Have you ever felt that you were in your, at your wits end, that you did not see a way out of your situation? If you've been there, just give me that raised hand emoji in the comments. You did not see a way out of your situation. You did not see a way out of your trouble and your turmoil. And while you were there, you, you experienced lack and you literally just did not see a way out. And somebody um, I'm praying for you, you might be there right now. Don't see a way out of your situation. Don't see a way out of your circumstance. And you are considering your options and your options don't look good. It's some for those who are not even as well adjusted mentally. Some may consider at this point hurting themselves or harming themselves. And I say not only just mentally, but maybe they just don't have the support system that some of us have. And many of us realize that if we didn't have the support system that we have, or if we were not as, as rooted and grounded in Christ, that we would have made some of those same considerations. We would have thought of hurting ourselves, harming ourselves, or attempting to end our lives. This woman found herself in a place where she was hurting, a place where she was broken, a place where she felt helpless. I say this is especially hard for a woman because a woman is genetically made up to feed her children, even if she does not have the capacity to feed herself. I want you to think about that. The genetic makeup of the woman, she's genetically predisposed to feed her children, even if she lacks the resources to feed herself. So imagine the frustration of this woman who could not feed her son. She was frustrated because not only was she hungry, and I just can't imagine the amount of nights that she went without for the purpose of her son having food. She must have gone without. She was experiencing lack. She was feeling broken and at her broken place, here she encounters the prophet. Here she seeks help from the prophet. She, she in, in fact, she inquires of the prophet on behalf of her husband. She says, if you notice in the text, she said, you knew that your servant, who was my husband, was a man of God. She's inquiring of the prophet, not even on her own behalf, but on behalf of her husband because of the relationship with God that the prophet must have understood that her husband had with him. She's broken and I can't imagine, I see people on the side of the road and it hurts my heart, particularly when I see a man. And I know sometimes there are those who are there to take advantage of you and they're there and they don't have any remorse about being in that place. But as a man, I can just imagine the, 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 the hurtfulness and how hurt their pride must be to have to stand there and ask others for alms, to ask somebody else for help, to have to acknowledge the helplessness of their situation to the point where they have to publicly stand on the corner where everybody can see their face, where they're exposed and simply have their hand out petitioning others for help because they literally do not see another way out of their situation. I just can't imagine the frustration and the brokenness that someone must feel to get to that place. 
And that's where this woman was. She was in a broken place, in a place where she could not provide for herself. She could not provide for her son. And she literally was asking the prophet for his assistance. She was crying out to the prophet out of desperation. She said, I don't know what else to do. I don't have any other resources. I don't have any other, any other help. I don't have any other assistance. And you don't have to raise your hand on that one, but I'm, I know somebody has been there and you felt that. You felt you were by yourself without assistance, without help, and you were desperate to reach out for someone to offer you some help. Having said that, I wanna to speak to somebody on the other side, somebody who has been blessed, somebody who God has made provisions for you, and you know you've been blessed. God is literally blessing you for the purpose of you reaching out your hand to someone else. Somebody else needs your help. Somebody else needs your love. Somebody needs you to pour out of the abundance, the weak, the strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Somebody right now, this is speaking and ministering to you that you're not necessarily in a wealthy place, but you're in a place where you have been provided for. And God is speaking to you right now to extend your hand to someone who is in need, someone who is in desperation. God wants you to help them. Jesus said it this way. He said, he said, I was in prison and you didn't visit me. I was sick and you didn't come see about me. I was thirsty and you did not give me to drink. I was hungry and you fed me not. And the, and the apostle said to Jesus, when did we find you in such desperate situations? And Jesus said, as you have not done it to the least of these, you have not done it also unto me. I'm speaking to somebody who's there. You've been blessed. And God right now is speaking to your heart to extend your hand to help somebody who is in need. To somebody who's on the other side of the equation, I want you to take heart from this woman. The thing about this text, the pivotal part of this text really that I think makes it inclusive in the Bible is not what the woman did not have. It's what the woman had. Again, it's what, what I think makes it included in the Bible is not what the woman lacked, but what the woman had. And, and, and that seems that, that seems uh, antithetical to the whole idea or the concept of her seeking the prophet when what her blessing hinged not on what she did not have, but it hinged on what she had. The prophet woman, and she says, she's telling him, she said, they're about to take my son to slave. The creditors are about to take my sons as slaves. But the prophet says to her, what do you have in the house? Notice what the word says here. We're in second, uh, we're in second Kings four and two. Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me what you have in your house. And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil, nothing in the house except a jar of oil. You can see the way that she phrased that. She was literally going to stop and say, I have nothing, uh, but, but something so impactful in that conjunction, but save a jar of oil. This whole story hinges not on what the woman did not have, but it hinges upon what she had. Notice when she's saying she, she has oil, people act as if, and I want you to keep this in mind because if you might lose the point of the story, she did not go to the prophet and ask for oil. That's not what she asked for. She was talking about her sons were about to be sold because she needed to pay her debts. She didn't go to the prophet to get more oil. She went to the prophet so that he could bless her so that her sons would not be sold by her creditors. She did not want her sons to become indentured servants for the purpose of paying off her debt. That's what she asked for. She did not ask for oil. 
The reason we talk about oil is because when he asked her what she had, she said, I have nothing in my house except oil. That's all that I have. One, one uh, theologian says that the, the woman says when she had oil, the amount of oil that she had was so little that they would have called it an anointing. That's the amount of oil that she had left available was the amount that someone would call an anointing. So if you were to rephrase it in, those, in that concept, the woman would, was saying to the prophet, I don't have anything left but the anointing. I want you to, I want you to grasp that for a moment, for a moment. She's saying, all I have left, there is nothing I have left in the house except for an anointing. And, and, and I, I, I want to speak to somebody right there because somebody is in a place where you feel lack. You feel like all of your resources have been stripped. You don't have anything left, but your anointing, you have nothing left but your salvation. You have nothing left but what God has spoken over your life. And I just want to tell somebody who feels right there, you're in a place where you feel like you have no resources, you don't have much, you don't have enough, it's not sufficient to your needs. I want to let you know that whatever you have, God can work with what you have. God can work with your anointing. I don't know what your anointing is. I don't know what your, your little jar of oil is, but, but I want to let you know that whatever it is that you have left, that it is enough for God to work with that, that God can bless you with what you have. God can bless you with what you have and what you have can be sufficient to your needs. It can be sufficient. God can work with that. God can work with that. Why don't you hashtag that? God can work with that. Whatever that is in your life, I don't know what that is in your life, but whatever it is, whatever your jar of oil is, whatever your anointing of oil is in your life, God can work with that. God is not through with you. God is not, God is not done with you. God has more for you. There is yet more that God desires from you. And there is yet more that God desires to do for you and through you. Even if all you have, like this woman, is an anointing of oil. That's all she had. Again, this story does not hinge based upon what the woman does not have. It's, it hinges on what she does have. Now, God, in his in his might and power, could have blessed this woman and replenished a resource that she had run out of. I want you to think about that. She could have said, I used to have meal and God could have given her meal, but he did not give her meal. She could have said many other things. She could have talked about meat. She could have talked about water. She could have talked about so many other things that she had or at some one point had, but no longer had. She could have said money. She was obviously out of money and God could have blessed her with money. But it's interesting to note in this story that God does not replenish a resource that has been exhausted, but rather he works with the resource that she had available, even though it was not much. It wasn't much. But he decided to work with the resource that she had available, even though it was not much. And it makes me think of the songwriter who, who sang the song. They said, you know, Lord, I don't have much. I, I, I'm, I'm not much of, my, of myself. 
He said, my, my life might not be worth much. I might not have many gifts. I don't have much, many talents. He said, but that that it is, that which I do have, he said, I give it to you. I surrender it to you. That whatever uh, of my life that you can find of value, I surrender that part of myself to you. And whatever you take, I know that you can multiply what I have. Just like the two fish and the five loaves, God likes working with very little. That's how God, God finds pleasure in that. I think God decides to show himself in the little. When he sees something that's small, when he sees something that's little, I think God gets excited because that gives him an opportunity to show himself. That, God, that gives him an opportunity to prove himself. It gives him an opportunity to show off, if you will. God is saying it's not much. And because it's not much, when I do something with it, they're going to give me the glory. When I do something with it, with it, they're going to give me the honor. They're going to give me the praise. I'm going to receive the credit because I'm working with something so small that they consider it insignificant. Think of it like this. The, the anointing of oil was so insignificant that the woman um, at the first, at first she forgot about it. Remember, and the way she phrased which her response to the prophet, she was saying, I have nothing in the house. Oh, well, let wait. There is an anointing of oil that I have left. You know what that reminds me of? Reminds me of Jesse. When, when Samuel went to Jesse's house, Samuel went to Jesse's house and guess what? Both stories talk about oil. God had oil that Samuel was supposed to pour out, but the, the oil was not going to pour out until he found the right son of Jesse. So while he's there in the house, Jesse passes all seven of his favorite sons in front of Samuel. Not only does he pass them in front of him and Samuel one by one says they're not it. But then Jesse is so certain that it's one of these seven sons that he passes them through Samuel twice, twice. They pass by Samuel twice. They are rejected. And after all of that, Jesse still does not think of David. It's only after Samuel says, well, I've seen these boys twice. <laughs> do, you, do you have any other sons? And I can hear Jesse just like that woman who said, oh, I have nothing in the house. Oh, wait, wait. I have an anointing of oil. And just like that, Jesse's like, oh, 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 wait. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say I have nothing, but I have a little shepherd boy in the back called David. He, he's not much. He's just out there dealing with the sheep. Something, something may be wrong with that boy. He seems like he sings in poems and sings and talks to himself. But, but yeah, I have him. I would say I have nothing, but yes, he's in the back. Samuel said, he said, certainly we shall not sit down until we shall see him. And when David walked in, he wasn't in, in, in as impressive as his seven other brothers. He wasn't tall and strapping. He wasn't in the same uh, stature as Saul. When he walked in, the oil started flowing. Samuel didn't have to say anything. The thing about it was Samuel may not have been impressed by the appearance of David, but the oil was. I want you, I want you to grasp that for a moment. Samuel may not have been impressed by the appearance of David, but the, Samuel may not have, you might even put it this way. Samuel was not moved by David's appearance, but when he showed up, the oil moved. 
And I, I just want to, I just want somebody who, who can grasp having an anointing on your life that causes the oil to flow, that causes the oil to move. It's not about how you look. It's not about how you appear. And you might feel like you have nothing else. And David may not have moved anybody with his looks, but, but praise God, because God's hand was upon his life, even if nobody else moved, the oil moved. And I want you to know that when you feel like you're down to your last, when you don't have anything else, don't be, don't don't do like uh, Job's Job's friends uh, challenged him and his wife challenged him to do. Don't curse God and die because you still have oil on your life. And I want to tell somebody that right now you have an anointing on your life. You still have oil in your life and it may seem like you have nothing else. But if you have that, God can work with the little that you have. It may not seem impressive to others. It may not move others. Your appearance may not move others. You might not be the most popular person, but if you have oil on your life, if you have an anointing, God can work with what you have. I may not have much, but Lord, whatever it is that I do have, I surrender it to your use. I surrender my life to your use. I surrender it all to you. Whatever talents I have or whatever talents I lack, whatever gifts I do or do not have, I surrender it all to you and I pray to God that if I'm like David, you, my, my father might not even remember me and I might not impress the prophet, but I hope that my presence, God's presence on my life will cause the oil to flow. Thing about it is David, when he stepped in, the oil flowed and I can just imagine and it doesn't talk about them. But can you imagine how jealous his brothers must have felt? Imagine some of them, if I can put it in modern day terms, they were like, man, I put my good suit on. I'm, I'm, I'm in here with my Brooks brother suit on, as my dad would say. I, got, I have my, I have my, uh, my, my Louis, Louis Vuitton watch and belt on. I got my, uh, my, my red bottom shoes. I'm in here looking good. I'm in here looking like a 2000 bucks and in comes little, our little boy, brother David coming in here smelling like sheep dung with his ratty little clothes on and the oil moves for him. Again, God is not impressed by what we have. He's not impressed by what we accumulate, but God can work with the anointing that you have over your life. So whatever you do, whatever you do, don't lose your anointing. I want to say that because I, I want to I want to get you, get you that, to that place where you understand that you don't lose your anointing over small things. Don't lose your anointing and the influence you have over somebody's life because somebody said thing that something that hurt your feelings. Don't lose your anointing over some and, and the power that God has over your life and your ability to influence and impact others just because you feel like cussing somebody out or telling them about themselves. Don't compromise your oil. Don't compromise your anointing just for a few moments. We always say don't make uh, permanent decisions in, in temporary situations. Don't 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 ever do that because God has an anointing and a power and an oil on your life that is too impactful and too important for you to compromise it for a few moments of satisfaction. 
It might feel satisfying to tell somebody off. It might feel satisfying to, to, to curse somebody out in the moment. It might feel satisfying to, to tell somebody's business and, and they, you said they rent, talked about me, so I'm going to talk about them. And in that moment, it might feel gratifying to your flesh, but you're compromising the oil and the anointing that God has over your life. You're compromising the witness that is so important. Somebody is watching you. Somebody is evaluating you. Somebody is seeing, is trying to see how you handle tough situations. So don't allow your oil and your anointing to become compromised over a few moments of fleshly gratification because Paul says for this cause, I die daily. I continuously have to kill, kill my flesh. So that the so that the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, so his light can shine through me. Keep your light shining. Keep the oil flowing. Keep your anointing, even when you feel like you have nothing else. This woman was at that point. She felt like she had nothing left. She felt like everything was gone. All she had left was an anointing of oil. But the prophet said, I can work with that. Better yet, he's saying God can work with that. I'm God's conduit. And he's saying, I can work with that. So what does he say to the woman after she then acknowledges that she has a, a jar of oil in the house? He then says to the woman, well, we can work with that. There's something that can be done. He, he said, go outside. And he said, and borrow vessels from your neighbors. Go borrow some vessels from your neighbors, empty vessels and not a few. Now, that seems a little counterintuitive. Why would you borrow empty vessels? But he's not finished. He continues and gives her instructions. Go outside, borrow vessels from your neighbors, then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. Go in, shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, he said, set it aside. Now, a few things there that we notice. One of the first things that I notice is that he's telling her to borrow empty vessels. Sometimes we are so caught up on, on obtaining things that she, she could have asked. And if she had been disobedient, she would not have been blessed. She could have just asked her neighbors for oil. Why don't you give me a vessel full of oil? To me, to, to some of us, it would have made a lot more sense, but not, that's not what the prophet instructed her. And we have to understand that even in our broken place, in our place of lack, when we feel like we're down to nothing, we still have to be obedient to the voice of God. You do not lose your obedience just because you're in a desperate situation. Some people feel like they get in a desperate situation that they they begin to rationalize all kinds of things. They, they'll rationalize stealing and crime and and taking from others for the sake of getting what you need. A lot of things can be rationalized in your time of need. And people will say that's OK because you were in need. But I'm telling you, even when you're down to your anointing, even all when all you have left is your oil, don't compromise who you are. Be obedient to the voice of God. Don't lose your obedience because that's all the devil wants. The devil wants you to get to a place where you're disobedient to the voice of God. If it means taking stuff away, that's what the devil thought about Job. Remember, he said, the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? And the devil said, well, I've considered him, because, but you do so much for him. Why wouldn't he serve you? But he said, let me touch his stuff. Let me take away his things and see if he will not curse you. He, the devil is under the impression that if he takes enough of our stuff, that we will abandon our obedience to God. 
That's that's the devil's ploy. That's the devil's trick. If I take if I touch the right things, if I take away the right things, they will lose their obedience. They will not be obedient to the voice of God. So I want you to understand that, that when you're in your place of lack, when you're in that broken place, that is a trick of the devil to try to compromise who you are, to compromise your anointing, to compromise your witness, because he feels if he takes enough that you will no longer be obedient to the voice of God. You have to show the devil that even though I'm in a place where I would rather not be, even though I do not have everything that I would desire to have, I will yet be obedient to the voice of God. Job said, put it this way, though he slay me, yet will I trust him all my appointed time. I will wait till my change come. In other words, I will not abandon my obedience to God just because I am lacking, just because I do not have everything that I've had before. I will not allow my lack to compromise my obedience to God. And I'm telling somebody there in your broken place, in that place of lacking resources, do not compromise your obedience to God. The, the prophet gives her, gives her a, an instruction that does not seem, that does not seem to make sense. Go borrow empty vessels. He said, and then what I want you to do, arrange the empty vessels in your house. And notice what he says, before you start pouring, before you start pouring, I want you to close the door of your house on you and your sons. Before you pour one drop of oil, he said, I want you to close the door on you and your sons. Notice here, notice here in the text, he's saying, go outside, borrow vessels from your neighbors, empty vessels, and not a few. Remember, it seemed counterintuitive, but that's, you have to be obedient to the voice of God. And he says, then go in, shut the door behind yourself and your sons, and then pour into all the vessels. Do not start pouring until the door is shut. Do not stop pouring. Do not start pouring until the door is shut. I want to I encourage somebody right there because there, there are certain things that God wants you, God wants to happen for you, that God wants to do for you, but he's waiting on you to shut the door. What, am I, what do I mean by shutting the door? Sometimes we leave doors open so that we have other options other than being obedient to the voice of God. Let me say that again. Sometimes we leave other doors and other options open that give us alternatives to being obedient to the voice of God. What I mean by that is you're saying, God, God told me to do this, but just in case it does not work, I'm going to leave this open. I'm going to have a backup. I'm going to have a backup plan just in case God's plan does not work. We leave doors open. That gives us other avenues and other opportunities to pursue something other than God's perfect will. And I want to let you know that's not how God desires for us to do it. But don't feel embarrassed. The father of faith, Abraham, did it too. Abraham is guilty of doing the same thing. Abraham said, well, the Lord, you said you're going to make me the father of many nations. But I'm getting old and I don't have a son. I don't have a child. He's saying just in case Sarah can't get pregnant, let me go ahead and lay down with her handmaiden and have Ishmael. Just in case God's plan doesn't come through, I'm leaving the door open. I'm not closing that door, but I'm leaving it open just so I have other avenues to pursue in the event that God's will and God's word 
is not true. Just think of that. And, and, and I want you to understand that because of that, there are so many nations that have that grew out of Ishmael that warred against the children of Israel. In doing so, Abraham didn't recognize it at the time, but he literally gave birth to Israel, one of Israel's greatest enemies, even to this day. Most of their warring fact, most of the people that war against Israel, they're the children of Ishmael. He gave birth to the enemy of his children because he was unwilling to close the door and trust God fully to do what he promised to do. I'm telling somebody that right now. Somebody needed to hear this. You're at a point where you're trying to go to another level in God. You're trying to go forward and not go backward. But the reason you keep getting sucked back is because you have left open a door that God desires for you to close. You cannot go forward into that next door until you close that door, which is behind you. Want to give? Let me give you an example. When we go visit the jail, and I don't know if they've arranged things differently in Shelbyville, but in many in many prisons and any in many jails and many county jails, what you would do is they would click open a door, and you would open the door, and then when you went in, right in front of you was another closed door. Now the door behind me had to close back before the door in front of me would open. The door behind me had to be completely closed. In fact, I think one time it, it didn't fully click and I pushed it and made sure it clicked. It had to be fully closed before the door in front of me would open. As long as the door behind me was open, the door in front of me would not. It remained closed. Let me say that again. As long as I left the door behind me open, the door in front of me would not open. The door behind me had to be closed before the door in front of me would open. And I'm saying that to somebody specifically. That's you. God is speaking to you through that. God is telling you until you shut that door, which is behind you, I will not open the door, which is in front of you. And I want you to, I want you to accept that. And somebody may know somebody else who needs to hear that. I want you to share that with them. I want to I'm going to say it again until you close the door, which is behind you. God is not going to open the door, which is in front of you. You need to shut the door, shut the door. Before God, 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 the prophet told the woman, he said, I, I'm going to fill those, those jugs with oil. I'm going to bless you. I, I'm going to, but I'm going to tell you some things that don't make sense. I'm going to tell you to borrow vessels that are empty and not full. And I need you to be obedient to my word. And then before you try to pour any oil in any vessel, I want you to shut the door on you and your sons. I'm telling somebody today, you're waiting on that next step. And you think God, you think you're waiting on God. But maybe God's waiting on you to shut the door behind you instead of trying. And you're trying to break. And if you've ever been to a prison or jail cell, you know, this is impossible. You cannot break down that door in front of you. And you know what some of you have been doing? Some of us, instead of shutting the door behind us, we're trying to knock down the door that's in front of us. We're wasting our energy. We're getting all beat up and bruised up trying to kick down a door that will not open. The only thing we have to do is not try and beat down the door in front of you, but it's time to shut the door that's behind you. Forgetting those things which are behind, 
and reaching forward into those things which are before. We have to press forward toward the mark for the pride of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And I guarantee you that mark is not behind you. That mark is in front of you. If you want to open the door in front of you, I challenge you to shut the door that is behind you. The next thing I want to share in my time is up. Three things that the, that the prophet told the woman, three things that some that may not have made sense, but three things that required obedience. She had to borrow empty vessels, which seemed counterintuitive. It did not seem to make sense, but she had to be obedient to the voice of God. Secondly, she had to shut the door, which was behind her. She had to shut the door on her and her sons so that she could begin to start pouring the oil. And the third thing is as she poured the oil, the oil continued to flow as long as there was an empty vessel in front of it. The oil responded to emptiness. The oil responded to emptiness. As soon as they got to the final vessel and she poured it and filled it with oil, the oil stopped. As long as there was emptiness, the oil kept flowing. So I'm saying that to somebody out there and I want, to, I, I want you to get this. We have to empty out ourselves. That's why Paul is saying, I die daily. I have to kill the flesh. I have to get rid of all the junk and stuff that keeps me from being full of oil. That keeps me from being full of God. The only reason God stops pouring himself into me is that he sees me as being already full. I'm full of television shows and, and I'm full of things that I watch and things that I read and I'm full of news stories and I'm full of, uh, of stories on social media and I'm so and we fill ourselves with so many things, so many things that we put before God, so many things that we spend our time on, so many things that we, we exhaust our mind with. Our mind often is so full of other things that there is no emptiness. There is no place that we would leave sacred and, and, and remaining for God. That's part of the point of consecration. When, when you consecrate, you know what you're doing? You're emptying out yourself. When you consecrate, you're emptying out yourself. That's what consecration does. It, it empties you out so that whatever you pour out, God will feel. I'm telling somebody that right now, whatever you pour out, whatever, pour, whatever you pour out and whatever space of emptiness that you create in yourself, God will fill that empty space. God will fill that void because the oil, it does not respond to fullness. It responds to emptiness. That's how Jesus was. You notice what Jesus said? Jesus said, I come not for the people who have it together. He said, I've come only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's saying, I'm coming for people who recognize that they don't have it together. People who do not have it all figured out. People who are empty and desire to be filled. He was saying, I'm not coming for the Pharisees. You think you already have it filled, figured out. You're full of stuff already, probably full of yourself. You're full of things already. So therefore, there is no room. There is no space for me to pour into you. But Jesus said, I've come for those who are lost and empty and recognize their own emptiness. They recognize their emptiness. 
They recognize that they have poured out so much that they're empty, that they're lost, that they need direction, that they need help, that they need to be filled. They desire to be filled. God said he will fill those who desire to be full of him. But first you have to pour out those things that are not like him. Again, in this story, as soon as the oil had reached the brim of the final vessel, as soon as it touched the brim of the final vessel, the oil stopped flowing. The oil responds to emptiness. And I want you to know that's how God works. He responds to emptiness. So even while you're feeling broken, sometimes it takes breaking because you know what? A broken vessel is broken sometimes so that what was in you can flow out so that it can spill out. Whatever was keeping you from having a relationship with God, sometimes God allows us to to live in broken places and broken spaces so that whatever we were full of, whatever was keeping us from him can flow out so that it can be poured out. So we could recognize that it was not sufficient. How many of you know having a lot does not make you full? Having a lot of something does not necessarily make you full. You need an example? Remember the Samaritan woman at the well? She had a lot of husbands, but she still was not full. She was still thirsty. She was still empty. Even despite having had five husbands, she had tried to fill that void with men. She had tried to fill that, fill that void with relationships and marriage. And despite having all those relationships and all of those marriages, she still was at the well feeling empty and thirsty. Just because you have a lot does not mean that you're full. It's the, it's the quality of what you have, not the quantity making sure that you're full of God and his knowledge and his word. Paul said, I've experienced fullness in so many things. He said, I've learned to be a bound. I've learned to be abased." He said, there are so many things that I had in my life. He said, so many things that I've learned, but he said, everything that I attained and everything that I know, I throw it away. I consider it dung. I consider it rubbish for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. What he's saying is that I have experienced being full of the world and it is yet an empty feeling. Somebody's right there right now. You have a lot of stuff. Billionaires commit suicide and take their lives as well. Even though it seems like they have a lot, they're still empty. They're still lost. People who are famous actors and actresses, famous musicians, kill themselves, they take their lives. And even though it seems like to us on the outside that they have a lot, just having a lot does not mean that you're full. They have a lot, but yet they are empty. I want you to understand that, that we ought to desire if we have no physical, have no earthly possessions. What is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? And what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I'd rather to be empty of possessions and full of God than to be full of God, full of, full of possessions and devoid of God. That's what God said about the rich man, young ruler. And I'm finished. Remember the rich young ruler. He said, we talked about him on this, on this past Sunday. I believe a little bit talked about one thing that you lack, (laughs) one thing that you're missing. He said, you just need to give all your goods to be poor, to the, to the poor, and then you can follow me. 
And the rich young ruler said, no, I can't do that. I'd rather be full of possessions and devoid of God than to be full of God and devoid of possessions. We need to set our affections on things above and not on things of this earth. I'd rather be empty in my driveway. I'd rather be empty in my bank account and be full of God than to be full in all those other things and be devoid of God. Remember, whatever you have, whatever you've lost, however little you have, do not lose your connection. Do not lose your anointing. David put it this way. David was rich. David had many wives, many concubines, many possessions. David had great, he was, he was considered one of the greatest king in all of Israel. He had great notoriety. He had a great reputation. But David said this one thing, Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Whatever it is else that you must take, do not take your spirit from me. Can I pray with you? Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to prioritize, Lord, even in our areas of brokenness. Do not, uh, do not, we should not allow the devil to trick us during this time of brokenness and emptiness to, to cause us to be disobedient to your word. Let us not lose our focus. Let us not lose our priorities. Let us appreciate that being full of you is better than being full of this world because, Lord, there is nothing. There is no amount of money. There is no amount of possessions that we can give in exchange for our souls. Lord, even that anointing, that oil that we have, Lord, whatever little we have, Lord, even through this story, you've shown us that you're able to work with that. It may not seem much, but Lord, through your power, you enjoy working with little things because little things become much when it's inside the hands of God. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. And God bless you. Pray that you were encouraged by what you heard on tonight. I appreciate those who joined us. Praise God for you. And I pray God's blessings over you and your household. We want to continue to keep our nation in prayer, keep our world in prayer, even as COVID still is leaving its mark on our nation, our world and our families. And, and, and we're losing some of us are losing loved ones. Let's continue to keep those families in our prayers and let them know that God is with them. And then not only God is with them, but let us be with them to be a support to them, to show our love and appreciation for them. But wherever you are, whatever little you have, whatever broken place you may reside in right now, I want you to know that you have much. If God is with you and whatever you have left, just put it in his hands. Be blessed. I hope and pray that each of you were touched and inspired by our service today. If you wish to partner with us, you can do so by Giveify. Download the app on Apple Store or Google Play and search for Bright Temple. If you wish to partner with us on Cash App, just look for Bright Temple in the two line. And in the four line, tell us the purpose of your gift. If you would rather mail your gift, you can mail us at Bright Temple, Post Office Box 453, Shelbyville, Tennessee, 37162. Thanks in advance for your generosity, and we pray God's blessings on you and your gift.